Welcome to Nets Talk Now, Driving Change, a podcast brought to you by the Network of Employers for Traffic Safety. Each month, we bring you engaging conversations with global road safety leaders and innovators, so you too can work to advance road safety for everyone. Welcome, everyone, to Nets Talk Now, Driving Change, the Network of Employers for Traffic Safety podcast. I'm Susan Gillies, the Executive Director of Nets. And if you've been listening to some of our previous episodes, you know these podcasts are all about fleet safety and driving safety and our mission of trying to keep employees uh, safe on the roads throughout the world. So today is the first of a two-part series that we're focusing on impaired driving and alcohol use with drivers because as many of us know, this is an ongoing issue and there are still way too many fatalities and injuries related to impaired driving. And so today, during the first part of the series, we're going to focus on some policies and things that employers can do to help address this issue. And then during the second part of the series, we'll focus more on the testing and the liability of alcohol usage during while driving. So today, we are very fortunate to have with us Darren Grandel, who is the Vice President of Traffic Safety and Government Relations for the Foundation for Advancing Alcohol Responsibility, or Responsibility.org. So Darren, welcome, and thank you so much for being here with us. Well, thank you, Susan. It's a true honor to be here and being on your podcast with all your audience. Thank you so much. I'm glad uh, to have you here today. Day. So please tell us a little bit about your background. I know you have a really extensive background. So rather than reading your bio, I wanted to ask you to share um, how you ended up at responsibility.org. Give us a little bit of information on um, how you came into that position and some of the background and experiences that you've had. Thank you. I uh, spent 25 years with the Washington State Patrol and my first duty station was in Seattle. So I got to see a lot of interactions with traffic and traffic safety. And then uh, towards the end of my career, I was appointed to the State Highway Safety Office, which was the Washington Traffic Safety Commission. Uh, The governor appointed me to be over that in 2012. And then in 2020 is when I came over to the responsibility.org. And so my background is in law enforcement, extensive background there, especially if they're impaired driving piece. And then on the State Highway Safety Office, we were there when they legalized recreational cannabis and the impacts that it had on driving, which was a whole nother avenue, especially with fleets and companies. Absolutely. Whole new world there. Yes. I would tell you too, uh, I spent almost 10 years in our commercial vehicle division. And so I worked extensively with a number of commercial vehicle carriers and worked a lot with fleet managers, safety managers, and others. And it was interesting to see the level of expertise or some of the the challenges that they face. But that was an area that I really put a lot of emphasis on with my staff is working with those companies to improve safety. So that's just kind of one of my other elements of my background. But when I came over to R.org was because of the background in the recreational cannabis legalization, the impacts on impaired driving. And then now what we see is what are the impacts now for employers for those that are consuming cannabis or other substances. Yes, and as you said, you know, this is a whole new world. There's a lot that we don't know about it yet and a lot of questions that employers have. So definitely so pleased to have you here because of that experience and background that you have working with fleet managers because, as I said, that's what NETS does, So, which you're very familiar with that as well. I've seen a lot of statistics recently about impaired driving and alcohol use and how it's increased 
during this pandemic time, you know, the last couple of years, which that's really is a startling reversal of the decrease we had seen in impaired driving fatalities more recently. So uh, what can we do about this? In particular, how can employers combat this change? And what are some things that your organization is doing to address this issue? First, I'll just kind of, I wanted to point out something you mentioned, you know, you've seen the statistics, you know, we saw in 2021, almost 43,000 people lost their lives. I mean, it was 42,915 was the number, just shy of 43,000. And typically a third of those are impaired driving. We don't have the actual numbers for each causation yet, but that number could be somewhere in the ballpark of 12, 13 to even 14,000 people that lost their lives in alcohol-related fatality crashes. It's a huge number. It's a huge number. And it's not just law enforcement's issue. It's not just a bar or a restaurant's issue. It's all of our issue. And so when you ask the, the question here about what can an employer do, is what is the actual culture in an organization that really focuses on safety? And, you know, I see companies at times they'll have Christmas parties or other activities or events and alcohol may be served. But with that, do they actually have uh, ways for their employees to get home? Do they think they're just going to have a casual drink or two and then go home? So I, I read an article the other day. It was about a golf tournament. It was a fundraiser. And some of the issues there were that the, the golfers actually started drinking at 10 a.m. at this golf tournament. And then they went off to another place. And while they were en route to the other tournament, that there were another golf course that they were playing, they were involved in a crash and killed one of the passengers. So I use that just as an example of, do we actually have anybody monitoring or paying attention at those types of you know, employer events, things like that, that are actually capturing employees? Are they actually recognizing what some of the signs and symptoms are of impairment, either from alcohol or cannabis or other substances? I think there's a lot of employers can do. There's, uh, I think, a great deal of responsibility and an opportunity that employers have. And I think that that's what's so great about this podcast here is an opportunity to outreach to them and letting them know that there are resources, there are people available that can assist them in that. So, and it really, you know, you talk about culture, it comes down to values, attitudes, beliefs, and if safety is something that an employer truly values, what are the steps that they put in to sure that their employees are safe. Absolutely. And that's that's exactly why I wanted to talk to you about this today, because that's really the main issue. It, it needs to be part of a safety culture. Um, you know, as you know, we're, we're a member-led organization comprised of fleet safety professionals from various sectors, and we're all focused on driving safety. But many of our companies do have those policies in place that address impaired driving, um, but some of them maybe need to be strengthened a little bit, or maybe there are some who just don't even have that as part of their policy. So it's absolutely essential that this be addressed in order to create that strong safety culture. So in your experience, how do you recommend companies can craft these policies? What should they put in there? How do they begin to make sure that they're addressing it the right way? But at the same time, also, you know, being cognizant of the trust of their employees, because I think a lot of employees can be kind of wary of being checked on all the time or being tested all the time. So how do you walk that fine line and, and make sure you're keeping your employees safe, but still have their trust by creating these policies? Well, I think really it comes down to what is the organization's overall function. And when you're talking about driving, does the employer have, and, I, and I, I'm assuming based on um, what NETS does, is that we're talking about employers that have fleets, 
people that are operating vehicles as part of the everyday function. Mm-hmm. Right. And or they have safety related functions that they're operating, like forklifts, other things. Because I had somebody, I was, they said, well, I'm not driving on the road, but I am operating forklifts at work. And I'm like, uh, well, that's kind of the same thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but it really comes down to what are those functions and what are they really wanting? Is it safety? I know that there are some that are looking at, well, we have to protect ourselves and our assets. And so we've really got to put all these policies and procedures in place. I think a, a good place is the National Safety Council. They have a really good place, too, for uh, employer, uh, I think, some of the policies and procedures. I think you as well have some of those in place. And, and But also looking at what are some things that they can do to help train supervisors to help recognize and understand what does impairment look like? Now, and I'll give an example here. With alcohol, we could all say, yeah, I know what a drunk looks like. You know, it's you got odor of intoxicants. You know, you might say they have a white pasty tongue or they have bloodshot, watery eyes. They may be staggering. They may have slurred speech. But then you talk about cannabis. And cannabis has a completely different signature on some of its signs and symptoms. You look at central nervous stimulants or a central nervous depressant, or you might look at what they call disassociative analgesics. Uh, There's a whole host of different drug categories. But what do those look like? And does, you know, somebody that doesn't really deal with impaired driving stuff every day know what that even looks like? One of the things that I've done is I've gone out and I've done some uh, presentations for various uh, companies. I did a couple in Seattle this year. And just talking about overall, what can you do? you know, as a company in preparations of understanding what impairment looks like. And then what are those, you know, processes, if you did identify somebody that was impaired, you know, how do you do that? You know, you just rip them out of the workplace and embarrass them? No, you have a place you go, have a private conversation and figure out what is actually going on. Because some people might be tired, fatigued, they might be exhibiting some signs of impairment, but are they really under the influence of drugs? It's really helping an employer understand what that really looks like. And it's looking for signs and symptoms. And one of those, like with cannabis, I'll give you an example. You're out in a bright, sunny day, and pupils are huge. Typically, you'd see where the pupils would constrict down in the the daylight. That doesn't necessarily mean they're under the influence of cannabis. It might be that they do have a physical issue. But it's one of those things to go, that's not normal. I I need to look a little further, maybe ask some questions, talk to them. What is their cadence in their speech? When they speak, what you're used to with their baseline, do they have a nice normal rhythm kind of cadence to their speech? Or are they really rapid and really really fast and, you know, which is outside of their norm? And so, or what about balance and coordination? What are some things that they notice? What are the, you know, do they normally come into work and, you know, and I know that in some work environments, it's kind of, you know, you're going to get dirty, you're working mechanic stuff, you know, that. but do they seem more disheveled? Do they seem a little bit kind of out of character? So it's looking for different signs and symptoms, body tremors. When you're sitting there talking to them, you know, do you notice that their hands are trembling or you might see muscle trembles in their legs? Or as you're looking at them and you're like looking at their eyes, you might see some uh, eyelid uh, tremors as well. So there's a lot of things that you can be looking for without having to do what we have done law enforcement with the standard field sobriety test roadside, you know, and, and that's a very, you know, that can be very complex. And so, but it's just some basic observations where uh, an employer could say, I've got reasonable 
belief that this person is under the influence? And then do they send them down to a drug and alcohol consortium for a test? You know, because they do have that right for reasonable suspicion or even for random testing. But it is another piece, too, is letting the employees have a piece of that discussion so they don't feel like Big Brother's always looking over their shoulder. You know what I mean? Right. And to that point, as you were talking about, you know, do you just instantly fire this person? Well, no, let's work with them and find out, you know, what's going on and how can we remediate this? And a lot of organizations do have employee assistance programs. And so that can be a resource as well um, to work through that and help the employee who has a problem with this, um, because it's so essential that you address this. And as you mentioned, you know, figuring out what that looks like. So you, you mentioned going to some organizations and talking to them and going through some of this training, Mm -hmm. where can an employer find resources for this type of training to recognize these, you know, when this is going on? Well, that's a a great question. And I have looked all over. There are some contractors that do work, especially for fleet, like commercial vehicle carriers, because under uh, the Code of Fed Regulations 382-603, fleet manager is required to have 60 minutes of alcohol training and 60 minutes of drug awareness training. And But that is a one-time event, and that could have happened three, four, five, ten years ago, but they are, they are around. They could go and they could look at what those contractors are doing. They come out and they do that. They do a very nice job in doing the training. One of the things that I have recommended to the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration and to some others is, can we create something that has some updated information for these folks, because it's not just alcohol and cannabis, and this is not what this discussion's about, but it's all kinds of drugs. It could be a prescription medication. They've been hurt at work. And this is an example I gave to um, some CEOs and some commercial vehicle carriers a few months ago is, if you had an employee that was hurt at work and they had to be off for a time, then they come back to work and they're operating in a safety-related function. Do we know, as you as an employer, do you know, are they using medications that could be impairing? And if that's the case, are there other options for them until they can be off that so that you have that assurity that they're, they're fine? And I had one CEO says, I don't even know when a person's been hurt or when they've come back. And I said, well, you know, maybe there's a policy there that they just they meet with HR have those conversations because the last thing you want to do is put an employee back into a position where they could be hurt or hurt others. And so that's another piece. We, I've, I've done some training. I don't have a formal script that I go out with and, you know, as far as an employer training, but I talk about uh, the legalization of cannabis, the impacts that it's had on driving, and then what fleet managers can do, that kind of thing. National Safety Council does have supervisory training that they do provide, and uh, that's on their webpage. I think it's at nsc.org. So that's another place. Something you said a few minutes ago spurred a thought to me on this is, you know, when an employer sees somebody that may have a substance use issue, is that this can be a tremendous turning point for the employee if it's recognized. And then they say, hey, you know what? We do have a substance use issue because do they also have a co-occurring mental health disorder? And, And that could be a variety of things. You know, that could be depression, it could be some other things, or they're, maybe they're going through a divorce, or maybe they're going through some other, maybe they had lost a family, and so they're self-medicating. If you look at some of the data that was from five, or actually six trauma hospitals that they looked at nationwide, alcohol, cannabis, other drugs went through the roof in these trauma hospitals from 
traffic-related crashes, either fatalities or serious injury, which was interesting during the pandemic. Antidepressants actually went way down, which was really was like, no, wait a minute. Are so, I mean, this is just a working theory. There's nothing to base it on. But our people didn't want to go to the doctor. And are they then self-medicating with other substances to get through this time And then that's equating back onto our roadways. Is that showing up in the workplace? And can they put them into it like an EAP program or an employee assistance? And they actually can get the help that they need. So, because they might be a really good employee, just life happens at times. And how do we fix that? Now, I'm not saying that's the case on everything, but look at the whole situation, you know, in kind of in totality and the history of the employee, their work record, that kind of thing. But I think that's another key piece is what we've seen uh, from a lot of our fatal crashes is that some of these have a a co-occurring substance and mental health disorder. I think that's a very valid point um, and that that all needs to be addressed. And I think that's true about the pandemic, how we talked about the numbers have gone up. Well, you know, people were staying at home more, but, you know, you're self-medicating. You maybe don't want to get out to that doctor and get your actual prescription. Um, Alcohol usage has gone up. But now we're back to work again in a lot of places and back on the roads. But that substance use is still going on at a higher level than it used to. And so it's definitely having an impact um, on everybody as they're returning to work, for sure. Yeah, so very valid point there and uh, great resources there. I know um, you've got a lot of resources on your website. So can you share a few more of those um, things like, uh, for example, you know, uh, the, the cannabis laws in each state are different. So how can employers now you can still as an employer have a policy, your own policy put in place um, to make sure that your employees are safe. You know, it can be stronger and more strict than whatever the state law is. But if, you know, if somebody is curious about what their state law is, how, how can they find information about that? So we started an organization called the National Alliance to Stop Impaired Driving. And our webpage is nasid.org or nasid.org. When you click on that webpage, you'll see labels at the top. And one of them is state maps. And if you click on that, it'll show the U.S. You can click on your state and you can actually see what the cannabis DUI laws are in your particular state. So do you have a per se limit like a five nanograms or is it based on impairment? What the officer is detecting? What kind of things do they have as far as rules and regulations around the cannabis pieces? They have medical, the recreational pieces in there. We've done quite an analysis on all 50 states and that was a significant undertaking. I would imagine. (laughs) If your audience is interested in looking at a lot of those different laws, they have access to look at the entire country to see what the laws are, you know, especially for companies that are operating in multiple states, like some of our commercial vehicle companies that are operating in multiple states. What are those laws? What are those rules? What are those regulations? And I think that's what's challenging for an employer is in one state, it's this and another state, it's that. And but for commercial vehicle carriers, you know, drugs and alcohol, you can't have it all at all. So, but what about employees that are operating in non-safety related functions? So that's another piece that I think an employer needs to look at and examine is what are those impacts as well? And I think that's that's a great resource. So thank you for sharing that. And I think that's a really good place for employers to start. You know, look at what are the laws within each state. But as I mentioned, you know, an employer can have a stronger policy and something more strict in place um, that they implement and can work with their HR departments to get those in place if they don't already have something. So I think that's a really good place to start. 
One thing I would share with you too is uh, there's going to be a lot of resources on there that you can look at on who we are as far as the National Alliance to Stop Impaired Driving. And we're really focusing on the issues of the called polysubstance or multiple substance impaired driving. Because what we're seeing is that nearly 47% of all fatal crashes have two or more substances in the driver's body. And when you look at tox screens in some of the states, the average tox is about seven to eight substances in a, in a driver, especially in fatal crashes. Wow. Now, things that employers should be aware of is, you know, you start seeing new things coming out like synthetic cannabinoids. There's nothing cannabinoid about it. It's just all synthetic. It's all man-made substances but they are not detected in most US DOT tests. And then you have synthetic opioids. You have a variety of other uh, drugs that are coming out. And how does an employer kind of stay abreast to some of these things and what's happening and what are those impacts? Another thing that we're seeing now is Delta-8 tetrahydrocannabinol. And that usually is coming through what they call cannabidiol or the CBDs. Mm-hmm. And that has impairing or intoxicating effects. So, but you'll, you'll hear people say, well, it's not Delta 9 and it's not illegal in the state, but yet it is still impairing and some states are now making it illegal. I think we have a lot of mind shift that is needed here because, you know, drunk driving, we've talked about not drinking and driving for a very long time. And, you know, that's kind of, we know that we know the slogans that say don't drink and drive or don't, you know, friends don't let friends drive drunk. And yet, with with all of the drugs and the cannabis and all of this, it's it's new and people aren't in the mindset yet about how impairing it really is. And so I think, you know, there's a lot of education that we still need around that. How do we get there? You know, people are still driving drunk, even after all of these decades of telling people not to. Um, And so now with all of this drug use on top of it, this is kind of a loaded question, Darren, but how do we get to zero? How do we get there where it's not happening anymore? Uh, That was when I was the state highway safety office director in Washington, we had our target zero is we were working to get to zero fatalities by the year 2030. And we were making really good progress. And then things happened and then it started to creep back up again. We were on a really good track to get to zero, but it's really going to take everybody to be a part of this. It can't be just slogans on the road or educational messages that we give. It really is going to take everybody working together for this. We can't work in silos. We, I think there's some groups that think, oh yeah, we're going to solve that problem. We're going to create this technology. Well, we do have technologies that are already out there, yet we're still seeing drunk drivers. And so it really takes a concerted effort. And that's where I think an employer can really be a part of that solution is that they're involved, that they are sharing information with their folks about things that are impairing. I mean, it's not just alcohol and illicit drugs, it's prescription. And there are even some over-the-counter medications that can impair. So, and then you start putting things into combination and all of a sudden you've got, you know, one plus one doesn't equal two anymore. It's now equaling five and six as far as impairment, especially uh, kind of a year round process instead of just the, the weekends and holiday things. That's kind of our mentality is that's when people are just drinking and consuming. And based on data we have, it's an all the time problem. But I think that's really is about being involved and helping with, you know, employers could have a huge impact on this for policy. And they go to, because they're going to have lobbyists and things that can go, because if we can reduce the number of crashes, what does that do to the organization's bottom line? 
they're not sitting in traffic longer for traffic crashes. They're not having to pay overtime. You know, deliveries are made more on time, those kind of things. So it would be nice to live in a day where you didn't have to go up and down the freeway stuck in traffic because of a traffic crash. You know what I mean? Yes, it would. <laughs> yeah. So those, I think, are, are just a, a few things, but it's being involved. It's actually making those policies in place that they themselves know that they are putting the right pieces in place for their organization to make that difference. Now, that may sound Pollyannish that you can, you know, that if everybody did this, it would be all fixed, but it takes a lot of effort. And especially when we see right now through the pandemic, it seems like those that were willing to take risks and even greater risks are taking even more, more risk. And with speed, then you look at alcohol or drugs in combination and the impacts that that has. So it is really, uh, I think, a, an effort that all of us have to be involved in. It's not just the traffic safety community. Absolutely. Totally agree with that. So, Darren, thank you for being here with us today. We will post those resources, the websites that you mentioned um, in the notes with this podcast. So to our listeners, thank you for being here and make sure you tune into the second session of this podcast once we have that, as well as a follow up to all of this great information we learned. So thank you, Darren. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Let's Talk Now, Driving Change, a network of employers for traffic safety podcast for anyone and everyone who is dedicated to advancing road safety. Be sure to subscribe and tune in each month for new episodes.